end of the gospel. Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. How's everyone doing? Enjoying the first, well, not first snow, but first good amount of snow. Yes? Yes, no? Thumbs up? Thumbs up? Yeah? Yes. If it's going to be cold, it might as well snow, right? Amen? Yes, amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, my name is Young, and I am the venue director uh, at our MSU venue. If it's your first time at our church, uh, allow me to welcome you to our church here at Riverview. Uh, we are drawing near to the end of the book of Romans in our series uh, called From Faith to Faith. Uh, and I know that we had uh, the scripture for our time already read, uh, but I would love to read it for us one more time uh, and have the word just rest in our minds and in our hearts as we parse it out uh, this morning and see uh, what the word of God has to say for our church today. So if you would like to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 15, uh, verses 14 through 21. You can flip, uh, tap, or swipe your way over there. This is what the Apostle Paul pens to the church in Rome uh, in verses 15, uh, 14 through 21. He says, My brothers and sisters, I myself am convinced about you also, are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Nevertheless, I have written to remind you more boldly on some points because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, serving as a priest of the gospel of God. God's purpose is that the Gentiles may be an acceptable offering, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to boast in Christ Jesus regarding what pertains to God. For I would not dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me by word and deed for the obedience of the Gentiles, by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and the power and by the power of God's spirit. As a result, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. My aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named so that I will not build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. Would you uh, pray with me as we, before we dive into the word today? Father, we are grateful um, for a time that we can gather as a church family. We are grateful, Lord, that your word is here, uh, able to direct and guide our church the life of our church. We pray, Father, that as we dive into your word uh, today, that your word would soften our hearts, Lord. That if we have been bearing some sort of burden or if we find our hearts to be calloused, uh, not only towards you, but towards one another, Lord, we pray that your word, that your gospel and your spirit would do an amazing work in our lives and our hearts today. That it would soften our hearts, Lord, our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. Pray that as we dive into your word, that Christ would be exalted, that our minds would be sharp to understand your word today, that our hearts would be open to receive it. 
Lord, we pray that your spirit would illuminate the text to us today, Lord, and we lift this all up in your son's name. Amen. So about a few weeks ago, I was actually able to teach here uh, at our Holt venue, and I shared a little bit about uh, my life story, just a, a, a small part of my life story that has made a big impact in my life, uh, which was that at the young age of 21, I was diagnosed with uh, acute lymphoblastic leukemia. That was about nine years ago. Um, and of course, it was a tough season for sure. Uh, but I remember the first few days when I was in the hospital, laying in my hospital, uh, laying in, my, in the hospital bed, excuse me, where I had this epiphany. I had the realization, and, and something about my brain, the way it works, is that like, I live in the surreal moments when something big happens, and it takes like a few days, sometimes a week, maybe two weeks, for it to really settle in, where I realized, oh man, this is real. This is actually happening. And I remember thinking also, oh, if I pass away from this illness, I can't take anything with me. And I, you have to remember, I was a college, or I was a senior in college. I was a college student. And at the time, I didn't really have much to my name, right? I mean, you're a senior in college, you're kind of broke, I don't know, maybe, I don't know. And what I had to my name, though, was this car that my parents bought me when I was in high school. I had a laptop. Uh, I had a Chromebook at the time, yay Chromebooks. Um, I had a PlayStation 3. That was my most prized possession. Uh, I know they have PS5s now, right? PS3 sounds really outdated. Uh, but that was my prized possession because in high school, I had raised up, I had saved up, not raised up, saved up so much money, as much money as I could muster in high school. And that was the first like, big boy purchase that I made in high school. And I carried that all throughout, all throughout college. And I thought, oh man, I can't take any of this with me if I were to pass. And that's the thing about health that I realized at the young age of 21 is that health is, is very important. And you can have all these different nice things in your life, but if your health is in decline, at the end of the day, the things that matter begin to elevate and some of these more material things begin to depreciate, though they are still good things. And we can say similar things about the church, Big C Church or your local church, right? We can have all these nice things like amazing lights and free coffee that keeps us warm on a snowy day. We can have comfy chairs. These are all amazing things, great things, even privileges that we have that we can show appreciation to. But if the church itself is not healthy, then what good are these things, right? We have to ask, if we have all these things, and if the church, though, is not healthy, then what good are these things. And this is what I believe the Apostle Paul is getting at with uh, this passage here, is that the health of a church is not entirely based on whether or not the gospel is being preached, though that is a critical thing. When we talk about gospel centrality, the gospel must be preached in our churches. That is an imperative of the church. But what the people do with that gospel message and how they engage with one another is also critical to the health of a church. If you look at verse 14, the Apostle Paul here, he writes, My brothers and sisters, I myself am convinced about you that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. 
What I want us to understand uh, that's going on here in this part of the book of Romans is that the apostle Paul is reaffirming, he's affirming his Jewish brothers and sisters in the church in Rome. If you actually read more of the recent chapters in the book of Romans uh, that we've gone through, you'll see that the apostle Paul is affirming his fellow Jewish brothers and sisters to welcome in, to be hospitable to, specifically the Gentile believers within the church in Rome. And the the word Gentile, if you're not uh, familiar with that, just means non-Jew or non-Jewish person, right? Paul specifically addresses and affirms these three things in the Jewish people. The first is that he says that, hey, you guys, my brothers and sisters, you guys are full of goodness. He's saying that to reaffirm, hey, be welcoming out of your goodness, be welcoming and hospitable to the Gentile in our church. The second thing he affirms is that they are to be filled with all knowledge and that they are indeed filled with all knowledge. And this is not just knowledge of, you know, your everyday life, but that they are filled with the knowledge of the Old Testament, what we would call the Old Testament scriptures, that the knowledge of God's desire to have Gentiles be part of the kingdom of God, to be part of the church, is also written in their ancient text as well. The third thing that Paul, what he does here in affirming the, the Jewish brothers and sisters is that they are also able to instruct one another, that they are able to direct and guide. In a sense, our, our modern-day word would be to keep one another accountable in how they behave towards one another, specifically to the Gentile. And so when you see these two things come together, that they're full of goodness and that they are to be filled with all knowledge, the Apostle Paul directs them to instruct one another out of these two things, to specifically instruct them. I mean, we even read it in Romans 15, 12. The Apostle Paul says this then, and it's just a couple of verses before. He says, and again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will appear, the one who rises to rule who? The Gentiles, and the Gentiles will hope in him. In short, the root of Jesse is pointing to the saving Messiah, the Messiah that we know to be Jesus Christ. Paul is, again, reminding the Jewish brothers and sisters that Jesus also came so that the Gentiles may have hope in him. It is clear that even in the Old Testament prophets, that they knew that the Messiah was not just for the Jewish people, but also for the non-Jewish individual. Therefore, the Apostle Paul says to be welcoming, to be hospitable to the Gentiles, not ostracizing them, not being divisive, not bullying. And I think we can learn something here for us, for our church in 2021, as here at Riverview, I think we can learn something here from Paul's instruction to the Jewish people when it comes to welcoming and being hospitable towards one another, especially the one who is different than you. Again, goodness. He talks about goodness here. He affirms that. He said goodness is this uh, attitude, this posture we have towards one another the knowledge that we have about Christ and what Christ-likeness actually means, and instruction, again, accountability. When we have this heart posture towards one another and the knowledge of Christ and what it means to be like Christ, we put them together, it draws us to be accountable among our peers. In other words, I believe that a mark of a healthy church includes the pursuit towards cognizant and intentional unity among its people. 
The Apostle Paul continues in verses 15 and 16. He says, Nevertheless, I have written to remind you more boldly on some points because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He just keeps kind of banging that drum, right? Serving as a priest of the gospel of God, God's purpose is that the Gentiles may be an acceptable offering sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So before we dig into this section, I just want to give you guys a fair warning. We're going to take it slow here. We're going to slowly sift through these two verses because I believe that it is a critical portion of the passage that we are in. We've been talking about, again, this relationship between the Jew and the Gentile. And if you're not familiar with that, let me just give you kind of like the, the, what's it called? The, the, uh, I'm blinking. Like a synopsis of this, right? Of what's going on here. The Jewish people, uh, or, or more specifically within the church, there was a group of Jewish people called the Judaizers. And what, these, what this specific group of people, what they believed in was that you could believe in Jesus Christ. You can believe in the gospel, but you are still to be bound to what is known as the Mosaic Law. And the Mosaic Law is, uh, are these 613 laws that you as a Jewish person had to adhere to to the T. You could believe in Jesus, and you're also bound to the Mosaic Law. In other words, uh, otherwise... These, Jewish, uh, these Judaizers would have viewed the Gentiles as being ceremonially unclean, as unrighteous, or in other words, these Judaizers would have believed the Gentiles to be unfit to be part of the family of God. Let me say that again. If you did not adhere to the way that these Judaizers believed, that you could believe in Jesus, but then you, had, you were bound to the Jewish law, as well, but if you were not following that path, they would have viewed the Gentiles specifically to be unfit for the family of God. And yet, the Apostle Paul, he strategically gives himself the title of being what? He spells it out here. He says that I am a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, serving as a priest of the gospel of God. What the Apostle Paul is trying to do here is uh, to make the case that he himself, as a Jewish man, not only ministered to the Gentiles and in that action had relevancy to the Gentiles, but that um, but he also served as a priest of the gospel of God. What does what does this even mean, right? And what does this have to do with the Gentiles? And in my opinion, I think this is where things get a little bit interesting. We must ask ourselves. How did the Apostle Paul understand priesthood? Because uh, the word priest in our day and age is a pretty loaded title now, I think. I think it's safe to say that. So we have to ask ourselves, how did the Apostle Paul understand priesthood? He would have understood it at least as someone who oversees, right? He oversees and takes care of the offering that is meant to be presented to God. That is the function of the priest, to oversee and take care of the offering that is meant to be given to God. And what does Paul state to be God's purpose? He spells it out here. That the Gentiles may be an acceptable offering, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul makes it very clear to the, to the to, uh, I'm sorry, the Apostle Paul makes it very clear that the Gentiles, the people who are viewed as unclean and unfit, for the family of God is indeed made acceptable because of the gospel of God. It's making it very clear there. And for us today as we're reading this, 
I want to ask a couple of questions. The first is, what makes you feel that you are unfit for the family of God? What makes you feel that you are unclean to be part of the family of God? Maybe it's a, a hidden and secret personal sin that you keep under wraps, under layers and layers and layers of truth. And yet, you know, deep down inside, you wrestle with something. Maybe it's the way that you behave and you treat others outside of the four walls of the church. What makes you feel unclean and unfit for the family of God? The second question we must ask ourselves is actually this. What makes you see that other person in our church family as unclean and unfit for the family of God? Because let's be real, y'all. If I'm asking you that, maybe one person popped in your brain that's sitting across on the other side of this auditorium. What makes you see the other person in our church family as unclean and unfit for the family of God? For the Judaizers, it was, that the, it was the Gentiles who did not adhere to their doctrine. What is the 2021 version of the Mosaic Law or of a Mosaic Law that you wrestle with in viewing your fellow brother or sister as a sibling in Christ? There was a time not too long ago actually, where I met with someone who wanted to uh, be part of our church family. They wanted to check out Riverview and, and be part, but they, they met up with me and they asked me this, this question that broke my heart. They said, they asked me this question. They said, I actually lean this way politically. Can I still be a part of your church? And my heart sunk. My heart broke for this individual because what a time to be alive that you have to ask that question to be part of a church family. In my opinion, I think that politics and political affiliation has become one of the pillars of idolatry in our era. And it seeps so much into our culture that someone has to ask that question before they want to jump into a church because they are afraid of whether or not they will be accepted or rejected. That has become a mosaic law in our day and age. And we see this kind of play out in the life of our church's, you know, broad sense, big C church, where we may think, oh, so-and-so leans this way politically, or so-and-so has this identity marker in their life. And at the very least, if they're a Christian, we at the very least think that they're spiritually immature then. And at the very worst, we think that they're clearly unfit for the family of God. The apostle Paul makes it very clear that all who submit their lives to the gospel of God, to, to Jesus Christ, is indeed acceptable to God. And therefore, they should be acceptable within the church of God. Because my friends, this is the reality that we live in. In this world, there is sin. There's sin that ravages each and every single one of us, including myself, especially myself. And the thing about sin is this. It doesn't care whether you voted for Trump. It doesn't care if you voted for Biden. It doesn't care if you're pro-police or pro-BLM or whatever. Sin ravages us all. Sin does not discriminate. It doesn't care about your position at work. You can be the CEO or you can be an intern. Sin does not discriminate. And the good news for us today is that the gospel does not as well. 
that the gospel is for all and for every single one of us to believe in, to place our hope in, that Christ, when he died on that cross, he died for all who would be humble enough to submit to his lordship in, in their life. Christ died for all, was buried in the grave for three days, and he, when he resurrected, he didn't just resurrect from the grave just for a specific group of people, but he resurrected for, uh, from the grave for the world. He ascended to the right hand of God, where it intervenes for his people, for the one who is humble enough to lay aside their life and submit to his lordship. The gospel of Jesus makes us acceptable to all and therefore should be acceptable within the church by all. A mark of a healthy church is that we are able to reject the lie that a believer is unfit for the family of God because of their stance on open-handed issues. That is a mark of a healthy church that I believe the Apostle Paul is making clear here. And he gives some follow-up thoughts here, verses 17 through 19. Read with me here. It says, Therefore I have reason to boast in Christ Jesus regarding what pertains to God, for I would dare uh, not dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me by my word and deed for the obedience of the Gentiles, by the power of miraculous signs and wonders, and by the power of God's Spirit. As a result, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ uh, from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. The reason that the Apostle Paul boasts in Christ is because Christ makes the person who is unacceptable to God, that, that he makes the one who is unable to stand before God acceptable. That is the power of Christ. But it doesn't seem simply to be this gospel message that the Apostle Paul utilized to bring to the Gentiles into the family of God. Uh, It also looks like what? He says, by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's spirit. Uh, And all the charismatics in the room are like leaning in like, all right, let's talk about this. This is significant for us to understand and to actually not shy away from. Because whether you you know, where we stand on, you know, signs and wonders in our day and age today, the, the fact of the matter that we can all agree on is that the Apostle Paul did in fact use these, this means to bring the Gentiles into the family of God. And Paul sharing uh, this to the church in Rome is significant for us to understand today because it highlights the reality, which is what united the Jew and Gentile believer then, is the same thing that is available to unite the Jew and the Gentile, I'm sorry, to unite people who are divided along different identity markers today. What, again, doesn't matter who you voted for, doesn't matter if you lean pro-BLM or pro-police, or doesn't matter what race or ethnicity you are, because the thing that unifies us here in the church is the same thing that unified the Jew and the Gentile in the church in Rome. And that is the Spirit of God. A mark of a healthy church is that when, we, when people across divided lines can see that they share in the same spirit with one another. So many times we see everything that is what? On the surface. Maybe on your Instagram bio you see, oh, that's what the, this person believes in. This is what this person's for. A mark of a healthy church is that we can see not, not just beyond that, but we can see the common denominator across believers, which is that we share 
in the same spirit of Christ. And this is what the Apostle Paul pursued after, according to him, from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. That's about a thousand miles. I don't have a map for us to see, but just imagine like walking from Lansing, I believe, down to like Tallahassee, Florida. So that's, that's the stretch. That's about a thousand miles, I think, right? Uh, I've, I looked at Apple Maps for this, and I don't know if that's right. But, um, and he continued to do this, continued to, to, uh, to preach this message that we share in the same spirit with one another. And he continues this in verse 20 and 21. He says, uh, my aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named so that I will not build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who are not told about him will see and those who have not heard will, un- uh, will understand. The apostle Paul, he uh, reaches back into the Old Testament scriptures and he pulls Isaiah 52, 15, a passage in the Old Testament that depicts Jesus, the Messiah, as a suffering servant who died for the world. And he pulls in Isaiah 52, 15 to make the point that he does not simply desire to simply build on someone else's foundation, but that his goal is to go to places where the gospel of Jesus Christ, where, where Christ crucified and resurrected has not yet been preached. And though some of you might, that are maybe more, a little more theologically savvy might think, well, Paul didn't actually start and build the, the church in Rome, so why is he uh, writing to the church in Rome, right? It seems contradicting to what he wrote here. Though he did not start it, he aimed to encourage the believers there. And out of humility, I believe that Paul's genuine heart was not necessarily just to build on someone else's foundation, but to unite the people that were already existing in these different churches. I mean, he explains here in 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 7. He says, what then is Apollos and what is Paul? They are servants through whom you believe, and each has the role the Lord has given. I planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the growth, so that neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. The Apostle Paul had a genuine desire to plant the gospel, the unifying gospel message of Christ to these different churches, to encourage already believing people in churches, and even for us today in 2021 at Riverview in Lansing, Michigan, for us to remain unified in the gospel. And I wonder if that is something that we too can continue pursuing as a church. As Paul travels from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, he met myriads of people. He met people from diverse communities, people that totally did not look like him, people that did not uh, speak the same languages as him. He met a diverse group of people. And what we can find here is that a mark of a healthy church is when its people are part of a diverse community and share the gospel to a diverse group of people. A mark of a healthy church is when its people are part of a diverse community and share the gospel to a diverse group of people. In Romans 15, 14 through 21, what we just worked through this morning, I believe that the Apostle Paul, what we can pull here, as if you have noticed already, are different marks of a healthy church. And I want to list here again this non-exhaustive, because there's so many other markings of a healthy church for us today that we pull from this. A mark of a healthy church 
includes the pursuit towards cognizant and intentional unity among its people. A mark of a healthy church, it rejects the lie that a fellow believer is unfit for the family of God because of their stance on open-handed issues. A mark of a healthy church is that when people across divided lines can uh, see that they share in the same spirit with one another. A mark of a healthy church is when its people are part of a diverse community and share the gospel to a diverse group of people. A mark of a healthy church includes varying levels of intentional diversity existing within as we are held in unified tension by the gospel. It is the rope that ties us all together. My question to us all today is this. Do these different marks define us as a church, Riverview? Does it? You have to ask yourself that question. And you have to ask yourself that question because as cliche as this phrase may be, if you grew up in the church, you heard this, if this is your first time at church because your friend dragged you and you're not familiar with this, I'm sorry, I'm going to input this in your brain. You can never forget it now, all right? It's super cliche, but it's a phrase that I believe it's true. We don't go to church, we are the church. We don't go to church, but we are the church. And if we are the church, meaning if we are the church, if you are part of the church, right, because we as a collective are the church, then we must ask ourselves, do we reflect these different marks? We must ask ourselves if we are a healthy church. We must ask ourselves, can I live out these different marks of being part of a healthy church? Though our salvation at the end of the day, our justification, it's a theological word meaning how you can stand righteous before an almighty and perfect God. Though our justification, though our salvation may be more individualistic than communal in nature, the implications of the gospel, the way that the gospel is lived out in our lives is far from individualistic. It is entirely communal. Our vertical relationship with God, it must go in a horizontal direction and trajectory. It must affect and permeate the way that you live out the gospel, that you live out Christ-likeness in your families, in your life groups, between your friend groups, with your kids, with your parents. The gospel message of Jesus must permeate horizontally in the different areas of our lives. This is the good work that is set before us. And this is how we can see if indeed our church is a healthy church. One of the ways that we practice this unity together, this is why I believe uh, personally um, that communion in our day and age, in, this, in the last five years, is such a powerful practice Powerful sacrament, if you will, uh, for the church. Because there's so many things in this world that will divide us. And yet, when you take the bread and the drink, and you take it, you don't take that individually. You're taking it with a church family. You're, it's a symbol, not just of what Christ did for us on the cross, as he gave his life for each and every single one of us, but it is a symbol. It is a manifesto of sorts to say, though this world may uh, preach division across so many different lines, in this act, I stay unified with my brothers and sisters because we share in the same spirit, we share in the same Lord, we share in the same baptism. 
That is what I believe the power of communion is, and we are going to actually take communion, uh, the Lord's Supper, together uh, in a few moments. So as we wrap up here, what I want to do is I want to pray for us because we need the Lord's help in this good work set before us to stay and to remain a healthy church. We cannot do it on our own strength, but indeed we must depend and rely on the Lord. So would you pray with me as, as I pray this over and for our church family today? Lord, may I always be the first one to, to repent of my leanings to, uh, towards division. My heart, Lord, you know my heart personally, I have my biases, as we all do. But Lord, let me be the first one to to repent of that. That in my flesh, Lord, I go uh, away from what your spirit actually can do in the church body, which is to unify one another. So Lord, I pray that over our church family here at Riv, that we would remain unified as as we share in the same spirit and the same gospel. I pray, Father, that we would depend on you, that we would all look to your lordship in our lives. And as a, a watching world sees uh, even just this, this local church in the Lansing area remain unified and loving towards one another, that there would be a big question mark of how and why do they live this way. And I pray that we would have seized the opportunity to point to the cross of Christ and to point to your gospel as it gives us new life, breeds new vision into our lives a vision and a life that remains and chooses unity over division. Lord, may you make our church healthier in this way, in the nooks and crannies that we cannot see. Just thank you, Lord, and we pray this in your son's name. Amen.